The ultimate goal of building this greater trust, the productive conflict, and the commitment and accountability is one thing, achieving organizational and team results. Welcome to another edition of the Water Brothers Podcast. Joe and Jay Kirshner here from American Water College. And today we want to talk about teamwork, the value of teamwork at a water utility and how that can really improve performance, improve the work environment, and just improve the efficiency of the utility overall. So in this segment, we want to give some tips on how to lead a high-functioning team. And in our training, we talk about the five behaviors of a cohesive team. So Jay, why don't you uh, kick it off and just talk to us about these uh, five behaviors? Sure. You know, a, a productive and high-functioning team has has a pretty big upside in any organization. Uh, a team that demonstrates or has these five behaviors that we're going to talk about, they tend to make better and faster decisions uh, by tapping into the skills, the opinions of all their members. And then once they make a decision, they tend to be more committed to that decision and they focus on results. And, and really a team that exhibits these five behaviors is a lot more fun to be on. That's the truth. I think most people will agree that teamwork is important, but it also can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, We have to bring together everyone's personalities, their preferences, what, what are their natural tendencies. And somehow we need to take people from all, you know, possibly different walks of life, different backgrounds, and form a cohesive, productive team that's going to be able to accomplish work together. So teamwork doesn't just happen automatically, is that what you're saying? No, and in fact, uh, in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Pat Lencioni talks about how most teams are dysfunctional. And so if, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. Joe, I want to just go over what, what are those five dysfunctions, and then sure. after we do that, we'll flip it on its head, and, and we'll say if we can overcome those dysfunctions, we can figure out what are the behaviors of a cohesive and high-performing team. Well, sounds good. Let's uh, get to it. All right. So the first dysfunction is the absence of trust. Uh, Teams that exhibit an absence of trust typically conceal their weaknesses and their mistakes from one another. They don't like to ask for help because they don't want people to know that, that they have a weakness or that they need help. Not only do they not ask for help, but they also hesitate to offer help to other teams or other individuals. They, these teams, they don't, recognize or tap into the skills of other people on the team. It's kind of everybody's a lone wolf or a lone ranger kind of doing their own thing. Uh, Oftentimes without trust, people tend to misunderstand one another for for no real reason other than uh, perception or assumptions that they make. They tend to hold grudges. And if and when they do have meetings, the the meetings uh, might be boring. There's a lack of good discussion because everybody's withholding, everybody's holding back because basically just because there's a lack of trust. Jay, when you talk about trust, are, are you talking about, you know, when, when we think of trust, we think of, well, I can trust him to uh, behave ethically. Uh, is that what you're talking about? Or no. if not, can you explain what, what, do you, what do you mean when you say trust? Yeah. What we're talking about is when, when team members trust one another. We're talking about uh, what some people would call vulnerability-based trust. And this is where all the team members are transparent. They're honest with one another. They're, they're vulnerable to the point where they're not afraid to 
to ask for help. They're not afraid to admit that they made a mistake because they know that there's an environment where they know they aren't going to suffer negative repercussions, but rather, you know, by being open and transparent, the team trusts that they're going to receive the help that they need. They're going to get the training that they need or the, the additional resources they need, whatever it is. So it's, it's more about what, what we'll term vulnerability-based trust as opposed to predictive trust. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. Okay. So the next dysfunction is a fear of conflict. Teams that fear conflict tend to have uh, an environment where there's, you know, back channel politics, oftentimes well, let me Let me interrupt attacks. you, uh, sure. Jay. I, I think we need to kind of define what we mean by conflict. We're not talking about the type of conflict where uh, two people have a personality conflict or they're They've got a long-standing feud. That, that's not the type of conflict. No, we're, we're, we're talking, talking about, about conflict around ideas. Okay. Teams that aren't able to engage in conflict around ideas aren't able to have unfiltered and constructive debates around ideas. We're not talking about conflict with people, but but debates around ideas when a problem arises that needs to be solved and you're brainstorming and you're trying to come up with uh, a solution to that problem. If you or if you fear engaging in this conflict, you're not going to get to the best decision. Okay, excellent. So we have absence of trust, we have fear of conflict. What's next? The next one is a lack of commitment to decisions. So lack of commitment. If you if you don't trust one another, you're not going to be able to engage in conflict around ideas. Therefore, when the decision is made, oftentimes the decision is made by either the most vocal person or it's it's just made by the leader of the group but whatever reason people didn't have an opportunity to have their ideas heard for you know fear of conflict or lack of trust then they're not going to be as committed to the decision so teams that lack that commitment to the decisions creates an atmosphere where there's, there's ambiguity among the team members about you know, their direction, about their priorities. They, uh, they lack the confidence. They fear failure uh, oftentimes. And they continually revisit discussions and decisions again and again. They, once a decision's made and the, the group should just be able to move forward and execute on the, you know, whatever plan they came up with to solve, you know, whatever problem, hypothetical problem we're talking about. But if people don't buy into and commit to that decision, you're just going to continually come back to and, and have more and more discussions. It wastes a lot of time, a lot of energy. Yeah. You, you know, a phrase that uh, I, I took away from that book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, uh, Pat says uh, something to the effect of if, if people aren't allowed to weigh in, then they won't buy in. And I think the, the weighing in is when that conflict is happening during the discussion and then if they can do that, then they buy in and they're more committed with the direction or the decision that's made. Is that kind of what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. So dysfunction number one is the absence of trust. Dysfunction number two is the fear of conflict. Number three is the lack of commitment. So now we're on to dysfunction number four, Jay. Yeah. It's the avoidance of accountability or the inability of team members to hold one another accountable for the the decisions that were made and the results that we're trying to attain. So teams that have this dysfunction, and let me just briefly interject. Some teams may have 
you know, one or more of these dysfunctions. A lot of teams have all of them. Uh, but but if, if you lack any of them, you want to start at number one. And we'll get to that when we talk about overcoming it. But you want to start at number one and, and start with building trust. Then build to, to number two, kind of like you're building a pyramid. Uh, learn how to engage in constructive conflict around ideas. Then learn how to get everybody to, to weigh in, in during that conflict stage so that they can buy into the decision and commit to the action plans that are created. And then the fourth is the holding one another accountable. Teams that have this dysfunction avoid accountability, which creates resentment among the team members who may have different standards of performance. You might have uh, high performers who have one set of standards and there'll be a low performer who's not being held accountable and, and they don't have the ability to hold one another accountable. And in these situations, all of the accountability or the burden lies on the team leader as the sole source of discipline. Now, sometimes the leader will will exercise you know, their responsibility and hold, hold the, the underperforming individuals accountable. But oftentimes what we find is you know, that, that involves confrontation and conflict. And if we have that, you know, have a fear of conflict and the inability to give constructive feedback, oftentimes we find that the supervisors and the managers don't hold people accountable to the extent that they should. And the end result of this is oftentimes you either lose your high performing team members, they'll go find uh, another place to work, another team to be on where uh, they can achieve results or they'll just become demoralized and, and they'll be pulled down with the, the rest of the group. Yeah, and that's never a good situation when you have uh, someone who's a, a high performer or you know goal-oriented employee that then uh, is discouraged uh, by the team and, and lack of accountability, and then just uh, you know falls into the the dysfunctionalness, if that's a word, um, of the team. So let's move on to number five, Jay. Uh, what is dysfunction number five? Number five is the inattention to results. And the whole idea of teamwork is to achieve a goal. There's some result that you're going for, but teams that lack the attention to results or they have the inattention to results, they, they lose their achievement-oriented employees, like I said before, and they encourage team members to focus on their own careers as opposed to the, the goals of the team or the overall organization. And not only that, if you don't have a, a clear vision or a clear direction or a clear target that you're shooting for in the form of a goal you're easily distracted you you might you know each day is a new day and you're you're heading in a different direction depending upon which way the wind blows or uh, however the leader happens to feel or however the the group uh, feels and whatever they want to do if you don't pay attention to and focus on results then your team's going to stagnate and ultimately you're going to fail. Well, since we know nobody wants to fail, um, I'm assuming you're going to kind of talk us out of this thing and, and show us how to overcome these dysfunctions. Yeah, to the, to the extent that I can in the time that we have available, we'll, we'll give you uh, a way to overcome the dysfunction and some, some quick tips on things that, that uh, our listeners can do with their teams. And uh, we can't go in the amount of depth that we go in our workshops, but we can give some, some practical ideas, I think.
Well, let's get right to it then, Jay. All right. So the five behaviors, let's take those dysfunctions and turn them into positive behaviors. So the five behaviors of a cohesive team start with teams that are able to build trust. And if you recall, we talked about it's vulnerability-based trust. And we can do this using a couple of simple methods. And, and we can accelerate the, the rate at which we build trust by, let me just give you two things. One is you can do what we call a personal histories exercise. And what this does is it allows team members to learn a little bit more about their coworkers their, at a personal level. And, and that's where everything starts because we might have people from uh, different cultures that grew up in different types of households that um, just all different kinds of differences. And we want to be able to overcome those. So what we do is, is we simply at a, a meeting of the team, it can be a formal meeting or an informal meeting. We give everybody a chance to answer the following questions. Number one is the place where you grew up. Number two is the number of kids in your family. And then number three, the biggest challenge of your childhood. So this, when you're doing this, you're just trying to get people to, to open up a little bit and, and just talk about themselves uh, and get comfortable talking about themselves on a personal level as opposed to uh, dealing with the tasks at work. Is that correct? Exactly. So we're trying to build a personal relationship. Now, we don't want to get all touchy-feely and we don't, you know, it's it's not a therapy session or anything like that. But we just, you know, it's just, these are just the questions that, you know, if you know more about an individual, you're more likely to give them the benefit of the doubt than you are to assume the worst in them. And, and we can avoid okay. the, the fundamental attribution error, which says that that we tend to attribute others' negative behaviors to their character, which is an internal attribution, while we attribute our negative behaviors to our environment or external. So basically, if, if somebody does something that we disagree with or says something or something that we don't think is quite right, we assume that they're a bad person. We, we attribute that to their character. Now, another tool that we have, so other than the personal histories exercise, are there are a multitude of personal personality profiling tools, uh, such as the Myers-Briggs type indicator. You might be familiar with that. We, we use here mm -hmm. at American Water College, we use the DISC assessment, um, specifically everything DISC. Um, there, there's a lot of other ones. Strengths Finders is one that is really popular. But some type of a personality profiling tool, uh, have everyone on your team take the assessment, determine where they are on the various scales, and then again at a, a group meeting you can kind of keep it informal but share with one another the personality profiles and that can be a really fun exercise as people you know as they learn about themselves number one and then they learn about their their team members and just these two things uh tend to go a long way towards building that vulnerability based trust okay so uh, to build trust basically we just want to connect on a personal level and understand where uh, each other's coming from, your background and, and your natural bents or your personality types. And, and that'll, that'll help uh, a lot in building that trust. Exactly. But what about... Uh, well, let me just real quick, uh, as a leader, you want to make sure that you go first. So you don't want to have people talk about themselves before. You want to, you want to model the behavior that you're looking for. So you should share first as the leader. Mm -hmm. And then you, you, again, want to create that environment where where individuals want to 
give their coworkers, their team members, the benefit of the doubt. It's not that they're a bad person that they did or said whatever they did, but but give them the same uh, grace that you give to yourself. Excellent. Okay, well, let's move on to dysfunction number two. So dysfunction number two, if you recall, is, is the fear of conflict. And so we want to get to a point where we can engage in conflict around ideas. If we have trust, if we've built that trust and we're giving people the benefit of the doubt, we know where people are coming from, where we started to develop those those personal relationships, then we're better able to engage in conflict around ideas. Now, as the leader, your role is to make sure that the conflict and the discussion centers around ideas and not not personalities, not people. And that if we have a, a problem that needs to be solved, that we attack the problem, not the person, is something that we like to say. Yeah, you know, and a, a story that I, I, I tell from time to time uh, comes from a team I was on. And there's a, a lady on the team who uh, had great insight, great wisdom, but her uh, conflict style was was one of avoidance did not like conflict so if she heard the discussion going in a direction that maybe she didn't agree with um, she wouldn't make her voice heard and it wasn't until we realized that you know she she feels like you know she doesn't feel comfortable um, we had to help her understand that it's okay to give your idea and and once we did that uh, as a team and you know we asked for her input regularly we had to kind of pull it out of her but uh, when we did, we usually ended up with a better decision. Yeah, and that's a good point, Joe. The uh, Your role as a supervisor or the leader is to look for those areas to, number one, understand the different conflict styles that your team members have. Some of that's based on personality, and you would have uh, gleaned some insight with those personality profiles that, that you did back in overcoming the dysfunction, number one, the building trust. But mm-hmm. also, one of the things we use in our workshop is a person uh a conflict styles assessment and we have one of those available on our website as well but if if you as the leader or as other team members understand the other team members conflict style you'll you'll better be equipped to to do like you just said and if you need to pull that the information out of some people who might be more accommodating or they like to avoid conflict uh, also you will be, as the leader, more aware and able to kind of tone down and, uh, I don't know, keep keep uh, a, a rein on those that are tend to be a little more competitive in their conflict style. Well, that takes care of one and two. Let's talk about uh, behavior number three of a cohesive team. So behavior number three is achieving commitment or and specifically commitment to decisions. So when team members are able to offer their opinions, debate the ideas, engage in that conflict because they trust one another, they understand each other, the the leader is is making sure that they, you know, find where there might be conflict and and bringing issues to the surface, making sure everybody has a chance to be heard, they're more likely to commit to decisions. And that's important, you know, because once the decision's made, you need the people on that team, the managers, the supervisors to to not undermine that decision, uh, but be committed to it and uh, work with their team uh, that they lead to uh, to bring about whatever was decided needed to happen. Exactly. And oftentimes we find if we don't 
achieve commitment on that decision, we come back to it over and over and over again. So one mm. of the things that we like to do, our recommendation is that first off, we lay the ground rule that, you know, we're, we're, we're gathering together to come up with a solution or to make a decision. Once we decide what we're going to do, you may disagree with the decision. It may not be the one you would have made, but as a member of this team, you, you're allowed to disagree and then commit. So we call that disagree and commit. That's fine. If you don't agree, that's fine. But we made a decision. Let's commit to moving forward with the decision that we made. One of the things we need to do, though, before we leave that room or that meeting is write down, whether it's on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper, let's write down what the decision is or at least, you know, at least verbalize it. But it's always best practice to write it down so that everybody can hear and see what did we just agree to? What is it that I'm agreeing to? And then that when people will be able to say, wait a minute, that, I, that's not what we agreed to. Or I didn't think that's what we were doing. But you really want to uh, clarify to what it is that you're committing to. And then after that, communicate. If there are people that are going to be affected by this decision that weren't in the room, we what we call is cascading communication. Each, if it's a, a, a decision that was made at the management level, and each manager or supervisor needs to then go uh, distribute or communicate that decision with their team, they'll go down to the next level. And so they'll have you know a certain period of time, whether it's same day or the next day, 24 hours, to communicate the decision that was made and uh, get a commitment out of their team as well. So we talk about disagreeing and committing, uh, clarifying that commitment, and then the cascading communication to make sure that we're all on the same page and heading in the same direction. Well, those are some good tips, Jay. Um, we've covered the first three. Well, let's take a look at uh, the behavior number four that will help a team become more cohesive. All right. So behavior number four is embracing accountability and specifically holding team members holding other team members accountable. Oftentimes, we as employees tend to think that it's the supervisor's job, and, and it is, and I'm not trying to relieve the supervisor of their responsibility to hold their team members accountable. But high-performing teams, really good teams, if you think about a, a sports team or, or any, any team in business, at a water utility, wherever, if you can get to a level of trust and the ability to discuss ideas and then commit to decisions, now everybody's on the same page. If you could get to the point to where team members hold one another accountable, uh, when everyone's committed to the clear plan of action, then they're going to be more willing to hold each other accountable and you're more likely to achieve the results. This isn't a comfortable place to be. And so as the leader, you're going to have to create an environment to where this peer-to-peer -peer accountability can take place. And this is done, there's a real simple thing that's called the team effectiveness exercise, where you, before a meeting, you schedule a meeting, and before that meeting, you have each team member write down the answers to, to these questions. Number one, what's the single most behavioral characteristic or quality demonstrated by this person that contributes to the strength of our team. And you're going to do this for each team member. So you have your, all your employees say, th you know, think about Jim, think about Sue and write down what is it their, their single most behavioral characteristic 
that contributes to the strength of our team. And then number two, what's the single most important behavioral characteristic or quality that sometimes hurts our team? Wow, that can be uh, <laughs> that uh, boy. If you don't have trust, that's uh, that's going to be a tough exercise. Yeah, and I, that's a good point. If you haven't established trust as the foundation, I wouldn't recommend doing this exercise. So it's going to take yeah. some time to get to the point where you do this. But as the leader, then you want to go first, and so now you're opening yourself up to where your team is going to say, "All right, this is so." In your case, Joe, um, this is something that Joe does that contributes to the strength of our team. And so we might say, oh, Joe's a visionary. Joe, you know, he's he's fun. He's he's thoughtful. He's very analytical. He seems to always know he's decisive, you know, things like that. And then what are some of those behavioral characteristics? And, and I keep saying behavioral characteristics. We want to be careful that we focus only on things that they do, not to question their motives, uh, not to talk about attitudes because once you start to get too personal about motives and attitudes and things like that people get defensive but if you can say uh, something that hurts the group let's just say for example joe you're always 10 minutes late okay (laughs) i want to say you know something that hurts the team is that joe tends to be 10 minutes late showing up for meetings and so that uh you know just tends to be late. Leave right. it at that. I was going to say, and that wastes everybody's time. And then, you know, you don't want to go on and on, but you're 10 minutes late to meetings versus Joe doesn't care about everyone else's time. Right. There, I just, I, see. I made a yeah. judgment on his motives and Joe has to say, well, no, it's not that I don't care about your time. It's just, I'm so overloaded and people are always asking me questions. I can't get away from, you know, there's probably, there might be a good reason why Joe's always 10 minutes late. So just focus on the behavior or the action, not the motive or the attitude. Now, as the leader, uh, like I said, you want to go first. So open yourself up. And when they give you the negative stuff, when they give you the positive stuff, say, thank you. When they give you the negative stuff, say, thank you. Okay. That is now, you know, during this exercise is not the time to make excuses or to justify those behaviors. Take it in, process it, and then and then we can, you know, go back to having discussions around ideas and let's see if we can uh, correct some of these negative behaviors that, that negatively impact the team. Well, that's outstanding, Jay. I'm anxious to get on to behavior number five. All right. So focusing on results. Right. So once your team has built that vulnerability-based trust, they're comfortable engaging in healthy conflict, they can achieve commitment around the decisions, and they embrace the peer-to-peer accountability that we just talked about, now we're ready to focus on results. Some of the ways you can do this, it, really, it's just it's just a natural outcome. If If you've got behaviors one through four working all in alignment, then results are going to follow. So the high performing or the cohesive team focuses on achieving collective results, team results, because the ultimate goal of building this greater trust and the the productive conflict and the commitment and accountability is one thing, achieving organizational and team results. Well, that was some excellent information, Jay. Appreciate that. And we're just going to have to leave it there for today. So for American Water College, I'm Joe. And I'm Jay. And we are the Water Brothers. We'll talk to you next time.